Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. We're so glad that you joined us in person as well as online. Welcome to you. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. to be the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and my song I praise him. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
song, Precious Love, is a brand new song for all of us, probably, unless you've maybe heard it on the radio or YouTube. But I wanted to give you a chance to learn the chorus along with us this morning. And as with any new song, I just always encourage, even if the, the tune might not be familiar yet, that you might, in your heart and with your mind, give focus to the words and the lyrics of the song as you learn it this morning. Thank you. 
Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's nice to see faces that I don't get to see very often. My name is Dee Stahl, if you're not um, aware of who I am. <laughs> um, I'm, do, uh, I'm involved with congregational care here at Heart of Wyke, as well as missions, and um, occasionally I get to come across the parking lot. My family worships at Watershed, and I get to spend time with you guys, so thanks for having me here this morning. Um, Right now, it's time for our kiddos to head downstairs for um, children's ministry. So if you are joining in on that fun today, head on over to the doors over here, and we'll get ready for our blessing. You guys have a lot of kiddos. Okay. Shall we say our blessing? And we start with the adults, right? And the Lord be with you. Bye, guys. Have fun. <laughs> They're so cute. <laughs> um, this morning, I just would like to um, thank you as a, as a family, as a Fusion family, as a Heart Awake family. Just like to thank you for your continued faithfulness of Heart Awake Ministries. Um, we could not do here at Heart Awake what we do without all of your financial support, without your um, presence and support in ministries that go on. So um, just thank you again from all of us here. Um, and if you uh, are here and want to give personally, there's ways to do that in and by the doors. And on the slide, it will show you how you can uh, support our ministries um, online. So look at those. Um, and if you will just pray with me this morning, please. Hear these words from Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours. 
and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Gracious Lord, thank you that you've brought each of us safely to this place this morning. Thank you that you walk with us every day, that you are with us always. We know that your promises are true and your goodness and love will never fail. In this moment, we come to you and we lay our lives before you. May we honor you and may we worship you and adore you with every fiber of our being. Father, we proclaim that you are the Holy One, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Your beauty and majesty are beyond compare. We gladly surround, surrender our lives to you. This morning, we think of those in our community who are laden with health issues, those who are recovering from injuries or anticipating surgeries or going through prolonged treatments, and even some who are waiting for transplants. Lord, provide them with relief from pain. Give them rest for their tired bodies and strength and faith to continue in their spe specific journey. For your word tells us that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself and have made a covenant with your chosen ones. We ask for wisdom for doctors, for best treatment plans to be obvious, for those who are caregivers to have gentle hands and kind hearts. In some circumstances, we even ask boldly for miracles, Lord. There are those too, Lord, who are grieving a recent loss of a loved one. Lord, meet them where they are, provide peace, provide love, give compassion, give rest for their weary hearts. Lord, we know you're the author of peace and of love and of goodness. Yet we see so much chaos and instability around us. God, I just pray for peace and unity in our nation, in our state, in our city, and even right here on this corner of 160th and Lakewood. Please temper minds and reach hearts. Please reach people in their deepest need and help them to feel the profound peace that only you can offer. Lord, we're so thankful for this church and Heart Awake Ministries, for your body of believers, for their continued faithfulness and involvement in ministry in this place. This morning, we invite your beautiful Holy Spirit to move freely among us. Come dwell in each of our hearts. Equip us, challenge us, comfort us, teach us. Inspire us as we learn more about your ways. Lord, we ask a special blessing also on JB this morning as he delivers your message. Guide his words so he speaks only what you would want us to hear. We ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, thanks, Dee. And good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, as Dee said, I'm Pastor JB, and it is a delight to be here this morning. Um, quick story. You know, parenting is tough. Can I get an amen? Parenting is tough. And so there are these moments where we're kind of proud of, uh, like Katie here and, and Grant, who's just jumping around and eventually. Anyway, I don't know if you saw that, but it was a beautiful moment. There's other moments where we're, like, not so proud of. And so I'd like to share one of those moments from my own life. Is that okay? 
Amen? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, we're, 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 we're playing as a family. We're playing Uno yesterday. And you can kind of get a little competitive, family game night. Anyone? Anyone else can get a little competitive? So we're playing Uno, and I got Bryson next to me. And, and he keeps dishing these, like, draw two cards and draw four cards at me. And finally, he lays one of these cards down, and I look at him like, you little scumbag. And I thought, I just called my five-year-old a scumbag. <laughs> and we had a really good laugh. Like, he wasn't, his feelings weren't hurt, but it was like, what is wrong with me? This is Uno. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Anyway. With that, a couple of announcements. I don't know how that transitions. But next week, we have a, we have a potluck next week right here in the room after the service. And uh, so we'll be doing some hog wild barbecue. And so bring a side if you're able. If not, just come and enjoy the food and the fellowship as we continue to live into this vision of learning one another's names. Wear those name tags proudly. We're going to have some new ones with a little logo on there next week. So wear those proudly and then shared experiences and, and because we want to be a people who do life together. And so we're continuing to live into that vision. Um, also, a couple of things uh, on the keep on your radar. Great escape. Um, by the way, Dee mentioned thank you for your generosity and giving. I think there's so much happening at Hardaway that it's really hard to just wrap your mind around. One of the ministries is Neighbors Plus, and we have them once in a while, a couple times a year, uh, talking about the outreach that happens out of this campus. One of the things that they do is Great Escape Day Camp, a whole summer day camp that allows uh, a childcare option for, for parents who depend on the schools. And so Neighbors Plus runs a day camp, Great Escape Camp. Our kids will be there. If you know anyone who wants to volunteer, um, send them our way. That hiring process is in the process. Honduras trip, uh, uh, sign up by next weekend. Uh, and then, oh, it's Kids Hope uh, Mentor Month this, this month. And so I believe Don's going to be here next week to talk a little bit more about that. But if, if you can give an hour a week to kids and make a huge impact, one hour a week, one student, it's an incredible thing. And then finally, maybe you saw this on the news, but Gateway Mission, uh, um, mission right here in Holland, they had a fire this weekend, and I don't know if you saw that on social media, but a fire in the, kind of their kitchen area, it was extinguished pretty quickly, no one was hurt, thankfully, uh, but they lost a lot of their food, and so right now they're just calling on the churches, if you can give to restock their pantry, uh, check out the website, check out ways to give to Gateway Mission. Then finally, a little bit of catch-up work. Uh, full disclosure, we've had some people join our community kind of in an official capacity, um, and we should be announcing that when it happens, but we haven't been. And so that's on us, and so over the last year plus, we've had some people join, so some of you are like, what? Like, anyway, that's on us, okay? So they've been, they've been with us for a while, um, but just want to just point out those families, uh, Joel and Naomi, uh, the Halma family, uh, Ted and Bethany, and then on the next slide, uh, Peter and Alyssa, Noe, and then Jim and Linda Olthoff have all become official parts of this community, which is a reminder, maybe we should praise God for that, because that is a good, that is a good wonderful thing. It's a reminder, if, if you've been with us for a while and are considering maybe taking that next step to kind of join in kind of an official capacity, we're calling that covenant partners, talk to me. Uh, or if you have a child that, that is up for baptism, anyway, just talk to me about those things and we'll kind of talk about, through that process. Uh, there's something about making that commitment to be part of this community that is a good thing. Amen? 
Now, deep breath. We got a lot to get into this morning. Let's get back into our series. We've um, been in the story since this fall, covering the narrative of Scripture. If you remember, we've in January we've been uh, kind of grounded here, firmly planted in First and Second Kings. And last week we looked at the role of the prophet, kind of that middle section, as God's messengers to the people. We remembered Elijah and Elisha and some of the minor prophets, Hosea and Amos and others. And and what was that role of the prophets in the life? Life of God's people. This morning we're kind of moving to that next section. The, the key moment in this section is, is the fall of Israel. Uh, but before we get there in chapters 9 and following, we're introduced to Jehu. Uh, Jehu who just kind of goes on this violent rampage and he, he kills all of the descendants of King Ahab and Jezebel, the evil king and queen from last week. And, and that kind of becomes a theme for the next several chapters where the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, many of them come to power by assassinating, murdering the, 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 their predecessor. And so it's just this season of bloodshed and all of these things that we've been talking about, idolatry uh, and, and, and injustice from last week, continue to perpetuate in the northern kingdom until we get to King Hoshea. And Hoshea is the last king of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, who makes some, some alliances. In fact, he makes one too many alliance with Assyria, but then also makes this alliance with Egypt and Assyria is like, you've double-crossed us. And that leads to the fall, the conquest, and, and then the uh, capturing of the northern kingdom of Israel. And that takes place and is summarized in chapter 17 uh, of the book of 2 Kings. Now, we could study that this morning, all the reasons why this took place as summarized in chapter 17. But to be honest, it'd be more of the same old depressing story that we've been kind of hinting at, idolatry and injustice and violence and idolatry and injustice. Uh, but note this. That these same patterns have been continuing, do you know how long? Over 200 years. Over 200 years, 19 or 20 kings in the northern kingdom, all of them evil. And God was in his patience and love was saying, come on, come on. But after 200 years, God finally said, if that's the way you want to go, and he gave them over to the Assyrian Empire, they're conquered and taken away. The city of Samaria is, is conquered and destroyed. Samaritans in the New Testament, that's the history, right? And, and, and they're no more, okay? But instead of focusing on that, what I want to do this morning is instead consider one of the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, Hezekiah, who was good, who was faithful during this incredibly difficult time in the people of God, and, and today we're going to begin by reading a summary of King Hezekiah's life in 2 Kings chapter 18. And then we're going to walk through some of these key moments in his story together and glean what we can learn from how he responds during this time in Israel's history. Sound like a plan? And so if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear from God's word this morning. 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to just read verses 1 through 7 and then... Uh, in our time moving forward, we'll kind of talk about all that's being summarized in these verses. Second Kings chapter 18. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, so the northern kingdom that we we're just talking about, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. 
He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, in these moments as we consider the, the life and the witness of, of King Hezekiah, Lord God, we pray that you would draw our hearts to the one in whom is our example, our model, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we, as we dig into your word, by your spirit, you would open your word to us and that in hearing your word, we'd continue to be formed more and more into the likeness. Of, your, of God, your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Um, if I were to list things that you were a fan of, would, would sleep make, make top of the list? Anyone appreciate sleep? Yeah. Uh, most of us like sleep. Most of us maybe want more of it or could use more of it. And I, and I can say that most of us want that. Why? Uh, because I think many of our young kids have gone downstairs. Because who doesn't like sleep? Anyone? Our kids. Does anyone else's kids like not appreciate sleep? Kind of stall at night? Like like want to like kind of have all these different stall games? Well, in our household this past uh, a couple weeks, uh, sleep has become a precious commodity, um, and that is because um, my little five-year-old Bryson has, um, has has been waking up scared at night, and that's kind of heartbreaking, and. Uh, Although at two in the morning, it's, it's less heartbreaking. Uh, <laughs> amen, yeah. So he's been coming, he's been, it's been hard for him to get to sleep. He's afraid he's going to have bad dreams. Um, I don't know if he has any bad dreams. And then he gets up in the middle of the night and he comes to our room, uh, typically to Yvonne's side. Yep, she's nodding, yep. And uh, anyway, and, and, but, but on Monday night, it's, it ended up with me like laying on his floor to help him get back to sleep, and maybe that was a better moment. Um, but to be honest, like my response to him has been less than compassionate at times. And, uh, you know, he's been scared, he's kind of crying, and I, and I say, well, what are you scared of? And, and at this point, I'm frustrated, right? One of those moments I'm less proud of maybe. And he's like, well, I'm like, well, there's nothing to be scared of. And what do I say? Like, just, just get over it. Like, Stop being scared. Just stop being scared and go to sleep. And, uh, and I say that, again, not my proudest moment, um, but whatever's causing him fear, like, he can't just get over it, right? Like, he's afraid. And, 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 and when I say that, that's not really helpful. And, and unfortunately, uh, people have, have too often taken this posture toward others who are facing their own difficult circumstances. 
And sometimes those circumstances are, are far more serious than a young child who's uh, afraid at night. But when we say to people like, just get over it, that lacks compassion. That's unhelpful. Uh, people need time and space to process and work through our emotions, uh, particularly in the face of trauma and, and tragedy and obstacles. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Um, but at the same time, I also want to say that various studies show uh, that our circumstances and, and our trauma and our tragedies don't need to define us. And they don't need to determine the future of our own well-being. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we do a podcast. The pastors gather together, read a book, and uh, the, the podcast we just recorded, but it'll be released next month in February. Uh, we read the book, Man's Search for Meaning, by Viktor Frankl. Uh, I had never heard of that book, but this was one of the books that Darwin recommended that was very uh, formative for him. Uh, Viktor Frankl writes uh, in sort of a memoir um, of his experiences uh, as, a, as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a, um, a Jewish psychologist, and so he, he views his experience through the lens uh, of psychology. Uh, I don't know if you know this, by the way, but uh, this coming Friday is National um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and so it's kind of fitting uh, that we remember a little bit today. But what, what Viktor Frankl observes uh, through this, this lens of psychology of how we respond, even in the worst, unimaginable circumstances, makes a huge difference. He writes this. Maybe you've already read the quote, but I'm going to read it. He writes this, page 66 of that book, talking about choices. And there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate. What Viktor Frankl is getting at is our circumstances do not need to determine our well-being and our outcome, even in the face of the most unimaginable things that we can't even wrap our minds around. How we respond is what he's saying matters. How we respond to difficult circumstances is often more or just as determinative to our well-being than the circumstances are themselves which is why two people might go through very similar circumstances and come out of it in two totally different places. In all that, what I want to do this morning is to look at Hezekiah and see if we can glean a little something by his response to incredibly difficult circumstances. The summary we read in 2 Kings chapter 18 gave us hints of what was going on in Judah's history at this time. Israel, the northern kingdom, led by King Hosea, had been destroyed and deported and exiled by the Assyrians. We're told of that. We're then told that Hezekiah is a faithful man, and we're given some of the details of his reign. This summary statement, he's, that we're, we're told, 
he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. The same Assyria that took Israel away into captivity, he did not succumb to the pressures. So something went down in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. This is also told in Isaiah 36 and 37 between the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and King Hezekiah. Let's look at that, uh, looking at uh, the opposition, Hezekiah's response, and then we'll look at God's answer. Let's begin by looking at the opposition. The Assyrian Empire, here's kind of the setting. Again, has, has destroyed and decimated Israel, the northern ten tribes of God's people, and now is bearing down on this small kingdom, this, what remains of God's people in Judah in the south. Judah is where Jerusalem is. And there's a new king in power at this point, a new king in, of uh, Assyria, excuse me, Sennacherib. Sennacherib has surrounded Judah, has, has sacked some of Judah's fortified cities, and here Hezekiah uh, attempts to pay off, actually, Assyria to avoid the same fate as Israel in 2 Kings 18, 13 through 16. Here, here I'll give gold and silver to avoid what's hap- what, what happened to Israel, and yet it does not work. Assyria continues to come after Judah. 2 Kings 18 and 19 that follow give this lengthy correspondence between Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and King Hezekiah, the king of Judah, God's people. In these messages, we begin to get a picture of what Hezekiah, Judah, was up against, and we get a picture of Assyria's strategy. We're not going to read all of these verses, uh, but instead kind of point at a sampling to show that Assyria's opposition, this is the schemes that Assyria uses against Hezekiah and Judah in the correspondence. They're all words. These are all letters that are kind of being sent back and forth. Four different things that Assyria uses as its scheme. Lies, threats and intimidation, mockery, compromise. Let's talk about each quickly. Sennacherib Sennacherib makes false claims about the Lord multiple times. He says God is deceiving Hezekiah, basically calling God a liar, when God promises to deliver Jerusalem. That's a lie. Next, he also claims that the Lord told him to march against Judah and destroy it. Again, this is a lie. Maybe dripping with some sort of of, of sarcasm or snarkiness. I don't know. Um, Next, not only does he use lies, but he uses threats and intimidation. If you read these chapters, Sennacherib's not shy about kind of flexing his military strength. He diminishes Judah's power and military strength, as well as diminishing their ally Egypt in chapter 18, while also gloating about previous victorious campaigns, saying, look what we did to this nation, look what we did to this nation, you think you stand a chance against us? And keep in mind that just a few years prior, the Assyrian army totally obliterated the northern kingdom of Israel. Threats, intimidation. Next, the king Sennacherib abuses mockery. Here you just get a sense of the tone of this correspondence just dripping with sarcasm and insult. Sennacherib mocks the people of Judah. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say what he, but he says, the people of Judah who eat their own filth and drink their own urine. That's what he says. Even more than mocking the people of Israel, uh, King Sennacherib mocks the Lord. Not only by calling God a liar, but he also calls their faith in the Lord foolishness. You're going to put your faith in this king whose, whose altars have been destroyed and there's all kinds of, right? You're going you're to put your faith in the Lord? 
That's foolishness. You don't stand a chance. Mockery. And then finally, King Sennacherib uses compromise. Make, make a treaty with me. Surrender. Sennacherib makes several offers to King Hezekiah and to the people to make a bargain. Offers King Hezekiah 2,000 horses in chapter 18, verse 23. Then he appeals to the people to surrender. And he promises them, surrender to me. And this is what you'll receive. Uh, you'll, you'll come to Assyria. It'll be much better than going to battle and losing. Uh, but it'll be a place of full of vines and figs, water, grain, olive, uh, olive oil, and honey. Sounds a lot like the promised land. Like, like come to Assyria. It'll be better than the promised land is kind of what he's saying. And what do we know? That's just an empty promise. There's no chance that if the people surrender, they're going to go to Assyria and be lavished with wealth. No, the northern kingdom was dragged away with hooks by their nostrils. But these are the schemes of the enemy. To spew lies, to spew threats and intimidation, to spew mockery and false promises that lead to compromise. Now why would, why would, why would the Assyrian king Sennacherib do this? Well, well here's, here's the thing. However powerful your military is, and he's pretty confident that he's going to take Jerusalem. Battles in the ancient world, they're costly, right? So for the king of Assyria to, to conquer a fortified city that, that rests on a mountain like Jerusalem, uh, there's going to be losses. And so what Sennacherib is doing is he's pulling out all the stops, lies, mockery, intimidation, saying all that he can so he can get Jerusalem and this king of Judah to surrender so they get the victory without any of the losses. But as we talk about these, these schemes of the enemy king Sennacherib, lies, threats, mockery, compromise, here's the question. Does any of that sound familiar? We fast forward to our day today. Does any of those strategies sound familiar? Let me suggest, I, I, these are the same strategies that the enemy, the devil, continues to use and has used against God's people for millennia. Lies, threats, mockery, compromise. Now, almost certainly none of us are facing the same exact opposition that King Hezekiah was facing thousands of years ago in 2 Kings 18 through 19. However, each of us has or is maybe facing opposition of some kind. And the spectrum on that is, is vast, right? And the variety of that is vast. But no matter what opposition we have faced or maybe do face even in this moment, my guess is that in the midst of that opposition and challenge, there is a voice of the enemy that whispers in our ears many of the same things and same strategies that King Sennacherib used against Hezekiah thousands of years ago. Let me, some examples of what I mean. Maybe in the face of uncertainty about the future. Maybe you're in that moment now. Maybe sometime in the past. Maybe it's financial woes or a lack of employment or underemployment. Maybe it's, it's uncertainty about the future because of health or illness. And there's this little voice that, that whispers in your ear, God doesn't, God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't really love you. Or lies like, yeah, God's not, God's not going to help you. God can't do anything about this. There's not a community that surrounds you. Or maybe just the instability of our world right now, and, and we're looking at where things are going, and, and maybe for you, like, that just seems overwhelming. 
and it doesn't seem like there's anything that can stop it. And, and we're all facing different oppositions and obstacles in our lives and these whispers of lies and threats and mockery. Have you heard that voice recently, that, that mocking voice that says, you know, belief in God, that's foolishness. Putting your faith in, in Jesus, like, that's foolishness. You heard that, that mocking voice that says, religion is just a crutch for the weak. If you're going to get out of this, it's up to you to figure it out, to pull yourself up, to, to, to use your own stability, to, to produce stability and security and happiness. Use X, Y, Z, whatever that answer is. You got to do it. Lies, threats, mockery, compromise. I don't know about you, but like so much has changed in the last thousands of years, right? Like circumstances, what Hezekiah is facing. And yet, man, the enemy continues to use the same old schemes to get us to compromise and turn our back on God. Lots has changed, and yet so much hasn't, right? But notice how King Hezekiah responds in the face of this onslaught of opposition. Let's look at King Hezekiah's response. Now remember, King Hosea in the north responds to the, the same different king at that time, but the same Assyrian opposition, and he's making treaties. He's trying the diplomatic solution, right? He makes treaties with Assyria, paying tribute. Then, then he makes some treaties with Egypt, and that gets him into trouble, and Assyria's like, you've betrayed us, and that's kind of the precipitating moment where Israel's conquered and defeated. Actually, King Hezekiah, his first attempt is also kind of a diplomatic solution, I kind of mentioned it previous, but he pays King Sennacherib gold and silver, hoping that he'll, he'll bring peace and avoid war. Um, but that doesn't work. And Sennacherib just keeps coming and writes this huge, huge message, right? Uh, this correspondence that gets sent to, to King Hezekiah. And what in, in, in chapter 19, Hezekiah, after he receives this first message from King Sennacherib, this is what we read in verse 1. We read, when King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. This is a, just a, an image of, of mourning and grieving. And he went to the temple of the Lord. There's some more that happens. And then a second letter comes from Sennacherib. And we read this, Hezekiah's response in verse 14. It's on the screen. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, read it, and then he went again to the temple of the Lord, where the presence of the Lord was. He spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Hezekiah in this moment reaches the end of himself, and in this kind of symbolic gesture of mourning, he falls before the Lord in the temple of the Lord, pours himself out, his, pours out his heart in desperate prayers for deliverance from Assyria. The next screen has what those prayers, but let me just summarize them this way. Basically, what he says is, Assyria is a powerful nation, Lord. That is true. But God, you are Lord over all nations. And so now deliver us from the hand of this king who has spewed insults toward the living God so that all will know, every other nation will know that you alone, alone Lord, are God. Again, my paraphrase. You can read the actual words on the screen. A powerful Prayer for deliverance. And notice, this is not some like, like show of like bravado, like pumping up his chest. No, it's an honest, humble, heartfelt prayer of desperation. 
Again, let's, let's kind of step into our own circumstances and consider when, when we face oppositions of all different kinds, right, how do we respond? How do we respond in the face of obstacles, whether they're, they're great and overbearing or, or maybe even small and things we think we can overcome on our own? Hezekiah teaches us something in this moment of difficulty and decision. Hezekiah is reaping the consequences of those who've come before, right? He did not get to choose his circumstances. This has all been building up for generations, but in this moment, he gets to choose how he will respond. And how does he respond? He falls in desperation before the Lord in prayer. Hezekiah doesn't give up, nor does he give in to the Assyrian king's offers, but it's also important to recognize that he also doesn't kind of muster up kind of some inner strength of bravado or faith, like trying to talk himself, give himself some kind of locker room pep talk to believe and to have faith and I'm gonna take him out, right? No, that's not his, that's not his response. He simply gives himself over to the Lord in prayer. First going to the prophet Isaiah. I don't know about you, but what, when I'm faced with opposition or difficult circumstances, honestly, my default is to look for solutions. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. My default is to find a path forward. What can I do despite what's happening? Maybe I'll even try to talk myself into faith or find some verse that'll kind of inspire me, but all because I, I want to do something to make a difference. I want to do something, right? Right? Here's what I'll confess. Often my first response is not prayer. At least not this kind of prayer. For me, it has to be pretty bad for me to get to where Hezekiah found himself. So often, personal confession, going to the Lord is kind of my last resort and not my first instinct. I don't know if that relates to, to any of you, um, but it actually reminds me of a, of a trip I took and some people I met many, many, many years ago. I was a student at uh, Western Theological Seminary right here in Holland, Michigan. And uh, uh, the, the, the second winter J term during seminary, we took what was called a, a cultural immersion trip, uh, meaning we would immerse ourselves in a different culture to kind of expand our horizons. And, and so I took my cultural immersion trip uh, with Vernon Carla Sturk. I don't know if anyone knows Vernon Carla Sturk here in Holland, uh, who were missionaries in Chiapas, Mexico uh, for decades. And uh, Chiapas, Mexico is the southernmost state in Mexico, bordering the, the country of Guatemala. Uh, and, and so we were in uh, Chiapas visiting a lot of different things, meeting a lot of different people, learning about Vernon Carla's work and, and how they approached missions in that time and place. Um, but I'll never forget one of the visits we made. Uh, it was in the mountains of Chiapas. It's, it's really rainforest, kind of mountainous jungle. And we were in the, the jungle there, and we visited uh, one of the, the medical clinics that had been established in the mountains there. Uh, and when I say uh, medical clinic, um, think shack made of plywood. <laughs> um, pretty limited resources. But I'll never forget the conversation we had with, with uh, I, I don't know if, what his term, if it was a doctor or how, what his title was. We'll just say doctor. And I'll never forget this conversation we had with this doctor. And he said that, that every treatment, every treatment 
or, or emergency care that he offers to anyone coming into his clinic, he said, it begins with prayer. I thought, wow. He said, and this was his reasoning, he said, because, because God is the healer. God is the one who's going to bring healing. And, and sometimes God brings that healing through medicine or through medical intervention. And sometimes God will just do that work on his own strength and power. And I thought, okay. And so the, the example he gave us was, or what I remember, again, this is like, like over a decade ago. But he said, if someone comes to my, to my clinic and they have a headache, I'm gonna, we're going to place hands on that person. We're going to pray, Lord Jesus, we pray for healing in Jesus' name. And then we hand them a Tylenol. <laughs> There's no conflict there. God is the healer. And God, we pray for God's healing one way or the other. But what, it, what struck me was his first response was to go to God in prayer. Whether he's dealing with a severe trauma case or a simple headache, the first response is prayer. And I thought to myself, wow. What if prayer became my first response in all circumstances? Obviously, it's been over a decade, and I still got a long way to go. But I was grateful to remember that, that story. Hezekiah offers prayer, and God answers that prayer. And let's talk a little bit about God's answer. First, through a word given through the Lord's prophet Isaiah, Remember him? We're going to talk a little bit more about him today. And then through a miraculous deliverance. Let's look at the answer. 2 Kings 19, verses 32 and following. The Lord offers a powerful answer to Hezekiah through Isaiah. We read this. These are the words of Isaiah. This is also told in uh, Isaiah 36 and 37, I believe. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my, my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And then we read the following verse. That very night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 180,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. We keep reading, and Sennacherib withdrew, headed to Nineveh, where his two sons murdered him. Those are the verses that follow. You see, for, he for Hezekiah, we see that, that God answered his prayer for deliverance in kind of two movements. The first answer came uh, through the word of the prophet, the word of the Lord. Who, who speaks a word of hope and promise into his life. It's a powerful thing. And then the second thing that happens is that same night, that word that he received from the prophet Isaiah comes true in miraculous fashion. Beyond what, what Hezekiah could have imagined or prayed for, deliverance comes, and it's incredible. Amen? And to be honest, I... I, I really wish it worked like that all the time. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Where we, we pray to God for God to move in a mighty way and boom, that very night it comes better than we could have imagined. 
Wouldn't that be awesome? But the reality is for, for most of us, or maybe for most of our experiences, difficult circumstances, the oppositions that we face, our experience tells us that most often that's, that's not exactly how it works. Most often, or at least so often, we, we, we don't experience an immediate yes answer to our pleas for rescue, for, to our pleas for healing. And how do I know that? Well, like, like each of you, I've, I've, I've been there, right? I think we've all been there. Sitting with friends that you love dearly, desperately pleading with God to spare someone you love their life, to spare their life. And that answer doesn't come. Or as a church family, gathering one evening, praying for the life of a child, And to be honest, I would, have, I would have given just about anything for a yes answer in that moment. Or as we think about World War II and the, the devastating impact of those concentration camps, how many millions of people prayed for deliverance? And the vast majority of them didn't come out of those camps. I wish it were true. But friends, here's, here's the other truth about those yes answers. Even for Judah, and we're gonna remember this next week, the deliverance they received from Assyria was short-lived. What we're gonna learn next week is that, that Hezekiah, the greatest king since David, his son, Manasseh, would be the worst king. All kinds of atrocities. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But a couple, a generation later, Judah would fall. And what they were rescued from, from the Assyrians, they would fall just years later to the Babylonian Empire. And tragically and horrifically, they'd be taken away from their land. Jerusalem, the temple would be destroyed and they would spend the next generation in exile. See, the reality is, and it's a hard reality, but any yes answer, any of those yes miraculous answers that we might receive in this life, and by the way, don't stop praying for those because they do come. Can I get an amen there? Sometimes God steps in and offers miraculous healing. Sometimes God steps in and, and, and offers incredible rescue or orchestrates circumstances in such a way that you look at that and you're like, there is no way that that happened by accident. That was all God. Yes, those answers come, and so we should pray boldly for them, okay? Amen to that? I've seen it. But even those yes answers, those miraculous moments ultimately are short-lived in this life because we live in a world that remains corrupted by sin and brokenness and eventually the brokenness of this world catches up to us all in this life eventually tragedy strikes again sicknesses return despair and yes death 
Which is why that same prophet, Isaiah, continued to write, continued to speak, continued to speak on behalf of God, and he would foretell of one who would come, the Messiah, who we know as Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, full deliverance, full rescue, full healing would finally come. The yes to all of our prayers would finally be answered way beyond what we could have imagined or even prayed for. Because the Son of God, God, would take on flesh, enter into our brokenness, give of his life on a cross, defeating death and sin once and for all. And as we remembered last, not last week, but several weeks ago, one day Jesus Christ will come again and all of the sin, brokenness, despair, and decay will be wiped away. And we'll experience the glory of life with God for all eternity. This is our hope, friends. And so we continue to lean into the one, Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah, who is God's presence with us. When we face opposition, we lean into him, recognizing that he walks beside us, We lean into him and we respond in prayer, calling out to God, no matter what kind of opposition or obstacles we might face, whether it's something overwhelming and we've reached the end of ourselves, or whether it's something simple. What if our response was to go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer? But in all these things, we have hope because one day Christ will come again and all things will be made new. That we will dwell in the house of the Lord for all eternity. Let's pray and thank God for this hope. Will you join me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony, the testimony of your people. We thank you for the testimony of of Hezekiah. Lord, who ruled well in a very difficult time. Lord, we thank you that that even his testimony is is not without fault or error. But Lord, most importantly, we thank you for the words of the prophets who foretold of your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would come, who would enter into this brokenness. So Lord, no matter what we face, no matter what obstacles we might face, and some of us, Lord, undoubtedly are facing difficult circumstances, uncertainty, and obstacles today. But Lord Jesus, you promised that you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. So Lord, help us to remember that promise. And Lord, may you begin to develop in us a reflex that turns to you in prayer as our first instinct. Lord, we have a long way to go. We pray that your spirit would do this work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
about being a, a people who embrace this gift of prayer. And I don't know about you, but I, I pray that God is growing us in that and God will continue to grow us in that. Uh, let me just read these words from the book of James chapter five, a call to prayer. He writes, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What would happen if we as a community, our first instinct was to pray? Even if it's a little, little awkward, can I pray for you? I don't know. Something to think about, something to imagine, something to dream about, that we would embrace this gift more and more. That's my challenge to myself. And uh, I offer that to you to receive as the Spirit leads. But also receive this blessing as uh, you go from here. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Let's enjoy some time together. Rejoice, so child of God. Lift your eyes to Ah! Uh -huh.